today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Oh, oh, ye of little faith. Never imagine Jesus saying, oh, ye of little faith. No, it's, why is your faith so little when your God is so big? Why, why did you doubt? You have nothing to be afraid of. And then he calms the storm and, spoiler alert, they make it to the other side. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Have you ever found yourself doubting God when in the middle of a trial? Or maybe doubting if you're still in His will? Doubt at times is a real part of any believer's life. In today's message, Pastor J.D. will show you that God is bigger than your doubts and circumstances, and He'll bring you through to the other side. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the Inspired and Truth podcast or download the Inspired and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 16, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Why don't we pray, and we'll ask God to bless our time together in His Word, if you would join with me. Loving Heavenly Father, we're really, really looking forward to what it is that you have for us here in this chapter, in this amazing book of Jeremiah. Lord, we know that there's some powerful truths and lessons that you want us to see and hear and take heed to. And really, truth be made known, that's why we're here. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the teaching, especially for those who are struggling and hurting of which there are many going through many different kinds of trials and difficulties and hardships. And Lord, we're so thankful to you for books like this, chapters like this in your word, because it speaks to right where we're at. We're not surprised by that. Your word is alive and active. But Lord, it just speaks to us where we're at and everything we're going through. So Lord, bless our time together in your word. Settle our hearts too, and just as only you can by the Holy Spirit, just help us focus our attention so there's no distraction, there's no wandering of our minds. And Lord, we don't want to miss anything that it is that you have for us, so... Get our attention and keep it by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, fill us and feed us and nourish us and minister to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. So the reason I decided to take this chapter by itself was because it speaks to how it is that oftentimes God will allow a trial in our lives to protect us from a greater trial that He knows 
that is ahead. And such is the case, as we're about to see with Jeremiah. Throughout Scripture we see this. One of my favorite examples is found in Matthew's Gospel, the 14th chapter, where we have the well-known account of after the feeding of the multitudes. And by the way, a key detail that is oftentimes missed in that account is that there were 5,000 men, but that didn't include the women and children. Now, you can calculate it if you want, but with the wives and the children, you're talking about probably over 20,000 people. Now that's going to be germane to our understanding of the point, I believe, of that particular passage. There are many. We're very familiar with it because Jesus, with some urgency I might add, gets the disciples subsequent to the feeding of the multitudes immediately, we're told, into the boat, into the sea, onto the Sea of Galilee, to go to the other side where he'll meet them. Now he's not with them. So Jesus knowingly sends them into a perilous storm. There they are, right smack in the middle of the storm of their life, (laughs) worrying about their life, right there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, yet they're right smack in the middle of God's will. It was the Lord who sent them there knowingly in the first place. And this is the account, by the way, Matthew 14. I would encourage you to spend some time in that whole chapter. It's such a great chapter, as is the whole gospel, as are all the gospels, as are all the books of the Bible. But anyway, particularly Matthew 14, because of the details that are recorded for us by Matthew, who's inspired by the Holy Spirit to record them. But very interesting, there they are, and really they think that this is it, this is how it ends. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes a man they thought was a ghost, walking on the water towards them. Now, at this point, I'm already, (laughs) I mean, we're already in the storm being tossed to and fro by the waves. It's just a matter of time before we're sunk, we're dead, it's over. And then, now, here comes who knows what, and it's walking on water. And then when they realize it's the Lord, Peter says, bid me come. Lord, let me come to you. And Jesus' response is, go for it. And he does. And he steps out of that boat, and he is walking on water. Now, it is a shame, and I am going somewhere with this. Just bear with me. We're taking the scenic route. I hope you don't mind. But I think it's a shame, because the emphasis on the account, and it's okay, because it's one of the many takeaways, is when Peter took his eyes off the Lord and looked at the storm, he began to sink. Okay, I got that. But wait a minute. He got out of that boat. And by the way, the storm is still raging. 
And I think it's a shame that to Peter's credit, he's actually miraculously, supernaturally, by faith, walking on water. But we don't focus on that. We focus on him sinking, taking his eyes off the Lord. Come on, Peter. And what I really love about the account, again, another one of those details that oftentimes is just missed at first read. But as he's sinking, he prays a three-word prayer. Lord, save me. I love that. Because God answers three-word prayers. Aren't you glad? Sometimes God answers no-word prayers. But could you imagine? Lord, save as he's going down. And then here's Jesus going, come on, Peter. I taught you better than that. I taught you how to pray. Our Father, which are... He didn't have time. He's only got time for three words. Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? He saves him from drowning, from sinking. And then again, another detail. They're in the boat now. (sighs) And Jesus, not angrily, please never imagine a harsh tone on the part of the Savior. I think it was just so filled with with pity. I think we misunderstand pity in the sense of pitiful, but He pities us. He, He feels bad for us, if I can say it like that. So there's almost this grieving sorrow of, why did you doubt? Oh, oh, ye of little faith. Never imagine Jesus saying, oh, ye of little faith. No, it's, why is your faith so little when your God is so big? Why, why did you doubt? You have nothing to be afraid of. And then he calms the storm and Spoiler alert, they make it to the other side. What's your point? Well, I have a couple, (laughs) kind of like armpits. Everybody has a couple, and sometimes they don't smell that great, but here they are. Number one, God's going to see us through to the other side. Don't misinterpret the will of God predicated upon your circumstances. Isn't it true, if we're honest with ourselves, that when we're in the middle of that storm in life, those trials of life, that we start doubting whether or not we're in God's will for our life? Sometimes the very fact that you're in the midst of that trial is evidence that you're in the midst of God's will. Well, now here's the greater point and lesson that I'm getting to, and it speaks to what we're going to see here with Jeremiah. Why did Jesus send them knowingly into that storm in the first place? And and can I also ask along with that, why is it that, because you don't see it very often in the Gospels, you don't see Jesus with such urgency. I mean, we see Jesus weeping, but I, I never see Jesus running late for an appointment in the Gospels. But for some reason on this particular day, there's some urgency. 
And it rises to the level of the Holy Spirit inspiring Matthew to record this word immediately. In other words, guys, come on, hurry up, get in the boat now, let's go. What's the hurry? And then he sends them into this storm knowingly. What is he doing? Oh, he's protecting them from the greater trial by sending them into that trial, that storm. Wait a minute, what's the, what's the greater trial? Well, think about this. We just got done firsthand experiencing a miracle like no other. When we're walking around, there's like over 20,000 people there. And every time we went to reach in that basket, there was fish and there was loaves of bread. And not only was there enough for everybody to eat and get full, kind of like I am right now. <laughs> you know how it is when you, there's that, you just think, if I eat this, I know I'm going to be really full. And because I'm such a godly man with such strong willpower, I completely cave in and eat it and then <laughs> regret it. Why? I was content. Now I'm full. Anyway, they were full, we're told. Again, another detail. They ate so much, they were actually full, and there was so much, there were actually leftovers. And that's another detail, too, that someone has aptly drawn attention to. Jesus has them collect the leftovers. Now, if I'm there, I'm thinking, Jesus, hey, what's the point? Let them take them home. Box, you know, doggy bag, whatever we call it nowadays. Let them take it with them. You could do this. Man, you, whenever we need fish and loaves, just all you have to do is do what you just did. We don't need the leftovers. No, God never wastes. He'll never waste a miracle. So you had to collect the leftovers. Well, so back to our question of what was the greater trial that he was protecting them from by sending them into this trial? What was the urgency? Well, had they stayed after feeding over 20,000 people, we're just going to use that number, would that not have been a greater trial? Would that not have been, hey, Jesus, what's the hurry? We just fed 20, miraculously, 20,000 plus people. We've got a church. We got a mega church, an instant mega church. They love us. What's the hurry? Let's just stay here. That's called pride. Because see, the greater trial was to stay there on that side, and pride would have set in. And pride always leads to the fall, because they would have then fancied themselves as this miracle having something to do with themselves, and Jesus knew it, and that's why He got them out of there, to protect them from that had they stayed. Sometimes God will send us into a trial in order to protect us from the greater trial. Now, this is what we're going to see here with Jeremiah. And it's, again, not so easily seen at first read, but the Lord is going to speak to Jeremiah, as we're about to see. And it's very personal. 
and it's very odd concerning his own life as it relates to having a wife. And thankfully, we're provided with the why behind the what as it relates to the Lord allowing a trial like this in Jeremiah's life. He's protecting him from a greater trial. So you ready? Let's jump in. Verse 1. The word of the Lord also came to me, saying, You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place, and concerning their mothers who bore them, and their fathers who begot them in this land. They, verse 4, shall die gruesome deaths. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried, but they shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine, and their corpses, I know this is graphic, shall be meat for the birds of heaven and for the beasts of the earth. Okay. Let me preface this because there's a cultural dynamic, in fact, woven throughout the fabric of this chapter. We're going to see a lot of cultural dynamics that are going to be germane to our understanding. You have to understand that in that culture, in that day, and it's really much the same way today, modern day in the Middle East, this would have been unthinkable to not bury the dead. Here the Lord is telling Jeremiah that the children, the mothers that bear them, give birth to them, their mothers, their fathers, their brothers or sisters, not only are they going to die gruesome deaths, but there will be no burials. And the birds, which were always seen as unclean, are going to pick at them and eat them. And so too are the beasts of the earth going to feed on them. It is going to be unthinkable. That's what's going to happen. And this would have been unimaginable in that day, because they put a lot of emphasis on burying the dead in that culture. Now, we need to deal with these first <laughs> four verses because the question should be asked and answered as to why it is that God would tell Jeremiah that he cannot have a wife and he cannot is not going to have a family and he's not going to have children. Uh, here again is the cultural dynamic. In that day to not be married, and by the way, this is not an endorsement for what we know today as celibacy. Now God may call someone to a life of singleness, and that's not what this is about. What this is about is God is going to make a statement very visually, very outwardly in this prophecy concerning Judah. But at the same time, simultaneously with this, and we'll see this more in a moment, he's also protecting Jeremiah, who he knows has a very sensitive heart, a very soft heart. 
and he's protecting Jeremiah from what lies ahead, the fate that lies ahead. And there's something else here that I think we would do well to take note of, and that is that we as Christians, as God's people, are not exempt from the fate that is suffered by the world. You know that verse that says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike? When I was a relatively new believer, I thought that was like, yeah, God, get them. But rain's a good thing in an agricultural world and society. In other words, what God is saying is, hey, I'm going to provide rain for the good as well as the righteous. I mean, the, the evil as well as the righteous. So being God's people, righteous, walking uprightly in Christ as Christians, we are not exempt because we live in this fallen world. Our children die. I've had a daughter die. We're not exempt from this. But there does come times, and this is one of those times, where God in His love for Jeremiah wants to protect Jeremiah from what he knows is coming. Now, this is going to be a trial unto itself, because he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtaineth favor from the Lord, right? My wife made me memorize that verse, (laughs) so it's a good thing. And oh, by the way, in that culture, and if you were single and had no children, you were looked at as the curse of God is on you. Now, if you're married and you didn't have children, and you were barren, you were seen as cursed of God. And conversely, if you had many children, you were seen as blessed by God, because God wants us to be fruitful and multiply. And we know from Scripture that children are a gift from the Lord. So for Jeremiah not to get married, for Jeremiah not to have children, not only is God protecting him from what he knows is coming, protecting him from the greater trial, this not taking a wife and not having any children would have visually outwardly caught the attention of Judah. They would have taken notice of that. And we're going to see that again here in a moment. Verse 5, For thus says the Lord, it gets worse by the way, Do not enter the house of mourning, nor go to lament or bemoan them, for I have taken away my peace from this people, says the Lord, loving kindness and mercies. Both the great and the small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried, neither shall men lament for them, cut themselves, nor make themselves bald for them. (laughs) Okay, what's up with this? Well, this was the custom. In the pagan way, they would cut themselves in mourning the death of someone, and they would shave their heads bald. Now, sometimes you don't have to, you know, for some of us, that's unnecessary. It uh, comes very naturally. Thank you very much. But they would do that as an outward display of mourning. And what God is saying to Jeremiah is, I don't want you doing anything. 
I don't want you attending their memorial services. And I certainly don't want anyone lamenting or mourning the way the pagans do by cutting themselves and shaving themselves. You've been listening to another edition of In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for tuning in to this study in the Word of God. As you continue to learn from the book of Jeremiah with Pastor J.D., don't discount the things you're hearing. God may be speaking to you individually today through Scripture. We encourage you to keep reading on your own, too, to further understand what you've heard in this edition. If you're not already part of a local church that you call home, we encourage you to find one and attend regularly. This only helps you grow in your relationship with God and others. If you don't have a church home, come be a part of ours. You'll find all the information you need, including service times and directions, to Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can also access more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings like the one you heard today, including his weekly prophecy updates. In addition to that, you may be interested in the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. This is a simple guide to understanding the good news of salvation in Jesus. As we continue to learn from the book of Jeremiah together, we'd be honored to pray for you during this study. Would you let us know what those prayer requests might be? Just fill out the contact form under the About tab at calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Or come find us on social media. There are links to our Twitter and Instagram pages on our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. That's all we have time for today, but thanks for listening to this edition of In Spirit and Truth.